Mitchell, particularly good song selections today. Really, really, really good. If you will, make your way to Exodus chapter 13. Good morning. Not bad. Try this a little louder. Good morning. It's great to be here. Glad that you've made your way up the hill to the church on the hill this morning. We're going to be in Exodus 13 for the next few moments. And you can just relax because you don't have to get out of church and beat the other, you know, beat the Baptist and Methodist to the restaurants today because you're eating here, right? How many are not eating here? Shame, shame, shame. But anyway, you got all sorts of reasons why, but hamburgers, hot dogs, I think there are even, even what he calls brats, and he's putting onions and stuff that he's grilling to put on that. So, I mean, I don't know where you're going to go that's any better than that, but anyway, you're, you're, you're forgiven if you're not staying, but we want to honor Jonathan and Madison today. I mean, I, this is my first experience with a resident minister, and it's going to be a hard, it, it is a new par up here for me, and it's going to be hard for somebody else to be able to come in here and do that. But there are other good servants out there that are going to cross our path and we're going to have good experience with, but always I'll have a great fondness in my heart for Jonathan and Madison and what they do. They're going to go to South Carolina. They're going to do great things for the kingdom, and we're all going to be able to boast and say, I knew them when. That's what we're going to be able to say. I don't know. Um, uh, well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Let's sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. We're going to be talking about the power of anticipation for a little bit, and what, what makes coming to church a little more exciting is when you have so many things that you can expect to see, some anticipation of some fun experiences and things that are coming up. I'm thinking right now it's June 24th, which means we are six months away from Christmas, and already we've got our anticipation built. Michael and I have put together our wish list. We're going to put it in the bulletin the next couple weeks for you early shoppers. Anticipation, that is part of the fun. A new movie comes out, like a new Star Wars part segment, and Michael Deese is here for the, the previous two months before the movie comes out, and he's dressing up at, 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 at the church building looking like the parts of the movie people, you know, and he's excited and it's built up. The anticipation is as much fun as the actual event coming. There's so many things like this. We've got August 12th, we've got Back to School Bash, one of my favorite things for a long time to bring young people to. It's kind of kind of degenerated in the past couple years. We're going to breathe new life into that. One of the ways to do that is bring David Shannon in, best speaker you can find anywhere today. We got him coming. That morning we're going to have a Friends Day here, and then a Back to School Bash that night where we're, we're expecting him to draw people to us, and we're going to show them a great time. And we got that out in the near future to look forward to. There are other things at Valley View I look forward to. Where's this Lads the Leaders thing going to go? We're going to Leechful tonight. Where might they go in coming months where our kids just build up this great experience of, of, of leading worship in different places? Where will that lead? What kind of young people are going to be produced out of that? That's the kind of thing a church needs to hang on to with anticipation. 
And anticipation is excitement, what I actually expect to see. Think about going on vacation. You're going to take your kids to Disney World. The Fits are going to go to Disney World for the eighth time this year. What are they going to tell their kids, right? They're going to tell their kids, get online, see what the rides are, and start planning this stuff. And months before they go, they're just building this anticipation in their kids. And it's just so amazing to watch kids light up and the excitement of going to this. They tell me, well, I remember these classes where I say, if you're going to go visit somebody who's shut in and can't get out, don't just go drop by and see them. Call them on, on Monday and tell them you're coming over on Thursday and give them something to look forward to. Anticipation. That's what's in this text of Exodus chapter 13. Anticipation. Here's what we can expect. Here's what these disciples, the, the, this, the nation of Israel has recently experienced. First of all, we go back to the burning bush scene in, in, in chapter 3. God has rescued the Israelites from 400 years of slavery to, to take them to the promised land. In Exodus chapter 3, 10 chapters ago, God calls Moses out of the burning bush, and this is what he tells him. Next screen. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cries. I hear them crying every night, longing to get out of this slavery. He says, I have come down to deliver them. Notice where he's going to take them. I'm going to take you to a land that's good and broad, land flowing with milk and honey. He starts painting a picture for Moses. I've got something better just ahead, and I want you to know it. I want to draw you a picture and put you an image in your head. This is a special land flowing milk and honey, all the prosperity things you can imagine. That's the land I'm taking them out of slavery into. And he says later on in chapter 3, he says, I want you to get the people together and I want you to tell them this too. And what we get is this note in chapter 4, verse 29. Moses got the elders together and the people of Israel and he told them. He didn't just say, I'm going to get you out of deliver you from the land of slavery, but I am putting you into a land you can only imagine how good it is. It's a land, what can I say, what can I say? Flowing with milk and honey. I want you to know where you're going. I want to put a vision in your head. And this expectation starts breeding this anticipation. I want you to know where I'm taking you. I want you to start tasting it. I want you to start smelling it right now. And do you know what God has done for us as New Testament believers? He's got us picturing heaven. Most, how many of our songs are talking about songs about heaven? How many songs this morning have we sung about heaven? And I want to remind us every Sunday, I want you to smell it, and I want you to think of it. I want you to think of the people who are there, and I want you to think of what it's going to be like. God wants us to because he's building anticipation. Now, there's one other thing they know. They're going to be taken out of the land of slavery, taken in the land of milk and honey, but there's another thing. They know the power of the God they serve. What they know is over the previous few months, they've seen this God 
disrupt everything, take on Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, in the most powerful way possible, these ten plagues. They've witnessed it. God disrupting everything, taking control of the powers of nature and using them for his own purposes. Their God, the God of Israel, is the God who's sovereign over everything. He has all the power and he can do anything. They've witnessed this. Listen, we've had Bible classes about this. We've had all sorts of VBSs about this, but these people aren't talking about Bible stories. They had a front row seat. They saw it with their own eyes. They don't have to be told in Bible class. They witnessed this. What do they know? They know God's rescued them and going to take them to the promised land. They also know this God can do anything. He can disrupt anything. He can overcome obstacles and he can lead them. But there's some danger to this. Anticipation can be dangerous. You start thinking how it's going to be and you make it better than reality. Listen, I think marriage is wonderful. I have a wonderful marriage. I wouldn't want anybody different. They couldn't stand me, right? I, I wouldn't want, but I, I can tell you this. If you think one of these days you're going to get married and all your troubles are overcome and they complete you and suddenly all the things that you've lacked in life are met, if you think that and that is your expectation and that's your anticipation, marriage is going to be rocky for you. And one of the causes of divorce is the unmet expectation. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be always right. She's going to read my mind and meet every need I ever have. Don't buy it. Somebody needs to tell you before you get married that's a lie. That anticipation can be scary. And the fact that your vacation is going to be wonderful and you think of all these wonderful plans. How long on that vacation before you realize this ain't going to be heaven on wheels? How long before he touched me and he touched me and he looked at me cross-eyed and how long are we going to be there before Chevy Chase shows up, right? And before your mother-in-law joins you on the journey. How long before that happens? These trips, you anticipate perfection, but before long you realize it isn't going to be exactly like that. And what do you expect a journey to heaven to look like? God said, this is the picture, I'm going to take you to this wonderful land that's going to be yours, and I'm going to be the one to lead you, and I've just shown you what I can do. How do you picture this trip going? I picture it like the U.S. Olympic basketball team. They give this guy, they name this guy coach, and he can, he can look all through the NBA and pick the absolute best of the best to be on this team. And he picks the best players in the world, the best players of all time to be on his team and play on the U.S. Olympic team. How do you expect that thing to go? I think the gold is already theirs. I don't think there's going to be a close game. I don't think there's going to be a hiccup along the way. How could there be when you've got the best players in the world playing amateurs of other nations? What's it going to look like? And you start picturing, if God's leading us to this wonderful land, and he's done all this and these plagues already, here's how the journey's going to go. Our God is going to give us a non-stop flight, no layovers. There's going to be no turbulence. There's not going to be little bags of peanuts. There's going to be five-course meals that are free. This God is going to overcome anything that would get in the way. How can this not be the most perfect trip in the world? This is how it should look when a God who's all-powerful leads his people to the promised land, but it's not like that.
we think of geometry. The quickest way between two points is a straight line. That's not how he's going to lead them. This is going to be different. We notice this. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, this is Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was the closest way. The most logical way, the easiest way, was the highway already paid by the Philistines, but God did not lead them there. Well, why not? This is weird. I don't understand this. God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. What? You're afraid they might be discouraged? You're God. Who's going to fight you? I don't understand this. Except to say that there are this verse that says God will never put on you more than you can bear, but he will provide you a way out. God knew this would be more than these people could realistically bear, and so he avoided that. God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. In other words, he went in a roundabout way. But I want you to notice verse 18. God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for, what's the word? Battle. First thing you need to know on your journey to the promised land is that you must be ready for battle. And that doesn't make sense to me. Why would a people led by the all-powerful God, the sovereign of the universe, need to worry about fighting anybody? Isn't our God going to fight for us? Do we not have a God who's going to fight for us? He's already told them, I've given you the land. You've got the deed. All you need to do is go in and do the closing. That's all you have to do. And yet he's saying, you've got to be armed for battle. These people should get a signal here. If you are going somewhere and you have to march and you have to have a gun, this is not going to be a fun time. That's their first clue. You've got to march in formation, and you've got to be equipped for battle. You must know something. Even though God is your leader and God is your guide, this is going to be a fight. And by the way, guys, when you come to the Christian life and you bow before him and say, make him Lord of your life, and you're immersed, we all want to celebrate. Hey, now you've got salvation now. You're led by God now. The first thing we're going to do is hand you armor. As soon as you're out of the water, we're going to hand you your, bless, your, bre- your breastplate, your helmet, we're going to, and you're going to, Hold it, what, 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 what are you talking about? I just gave my life to God, and you're putting armor on me? That's exactly right. Whatever you hear about the Christian life, if it's from a TV preacher that it says it's all easy, and you just let him lead you, and things go by, and you can kind of sleepwalk through life, it is a lie. The moment you're baptized, you're issued armor, God's very own armor. You're going to have to fight to keep this. God said it this way, or showed it this way. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended on him in the form of a... He was given the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit immediately led him into the wilderness to be tempted. You will be led by God. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You will have God living in you, and he is guiding your steps. This is all true, but he's going to lead you into temptation. That's the reality of this journey to the promised land, is that while God is leading you and guiding you, it is a battle, it is a war, and you must be equipped for it. The way I would describe it from what I've heard before is a guy told me one time, he said, that footprints in the sand poem is not biblical. 
It's the whole idea of you see two sets of footprints and God is walking with you and then you see only one. You say, God, where were you? Well, I was, I was carrying you. There is never a time in your life when God carries you. He will not do it for you. He will not fly your plane. Despite what Carrie Underwood says, he will not take the wheel. He won't take it from you. He will give you every aid he can. While you're driving down the road, he has GPS, God's perfect son. Isn't that brilliant? GPS, yeah. Okay, GPS, and he he will give you instruction, he will give you help, he will give you his presence, he will not do it for you. There's this principle, it's never said in Scripture, but it's demonstrated. God helps those who help themselves if they're capable and willing. Every time God answered with a miracle, he expected something of us. What, some foreshadowing here, at least if Daniel's right. Daniel wants to do Jericho next year for VBS. And I'm dying to know how he's going to make the walls of this building fall, but not really fall. If there's anybody who can do it, it would be Daniel. He's got a year to work it out. I don't know if that's really going to be VBS, but I want you to know. You know the story. God made the walls fall, but what did the people have to do? Somebody beyond the first three rows. March around the walls, right? God gave them manna, dropped manna on the ground, but they had to pick it up, right? These miracles got the Passover. God killed that for the firstborn, did all the, but the people had to take the lamb and do exactly what he, even the crossing of the Red Sea we're going to see next chapter. It's an amazing thing. God uses the wind to pile up the water, but even then, even when God did all that, the people had to do something. He didn't put one of those airport walking things in there and just say, stand here and just look. and just, I'm going to be your divine butler and escort you over. No, they had to actually step into the dry land in the midst of the Red Sea and trust that when they got in the middle of that, the wall wouldn't suddenly fall and the waters cover them. They had to walk. And I'm going to tell you this, it, you are saved by grace. It is all God who allowed you to have salvation. But even with his grace, he says, I want you to believe in my son, and I want you to confess his name, and I want you to be immersed in the waters of baptism. And I, it's all grace, but guys, you've got to do something. You've got to respond in some way. You've got to be ready for battle, guys. There's a part that we play that God will not do for you. He will not make you do anything. He will give you the wisdom. He will give you the motivation. He will do a lot of things, but he will not make you do it. You're going to have to battle some to take the promised land. The Christian life is a great life to live, the best life to live, but you have to choose it, and you have to walk it, and you have to do it. But notice something else. If you're going to make the promised land, you've got to remember the past. I don't want you to notice this glimpse to the past. They kind of look in the rearview mirror for a moment. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, God's going to come back, and you will carry up my bones with you from here. Jacob also made the same promise, make them swear the same promise in 47. So I'm assuming, Genesis 47, I'm assuming they have the bones of Jacob and the bones of Joseph, that they're marching out with them into the promised land. 
As good as Egypt ended up being for Joseph, he got rich there, he got well-known, he got famous there. As good as it was, he knew he didn't belong there. The promise of God given to Abraham that was still his and still belonged to Israel was that they have a promised land back in Canaan. And don't set your hearts on the land where your prosperity is. And we, in our time, had better be careful. We have it well. We have it good in America. And most of you are pretty well off, but don't get settled in here. This is not where you belong. You must remember, you must remember there's something God has in store for you that's much better than what you see and experience here. No matter how good it tastes and no matter how well you have it here, there's someplace else that you belong. And they remembered this because every day they lived their lives. The end of Genesis ends with this. In a coffin down in Egypt, they mummified the body of Joseph and it stayed in a coffin. And I don't know where they put it, but they didn't bury it in Egypt because it doesn't belong there. They put it among the people and as they lived their lives in slavery they went by the coffin of of Joseph over and over and over again I bet there's a bunch of people that said listen guys it's been a hundred years now it's been 200 years now it's been 300 years now it's been 400 years now bury it already nothing's gonna happen here get it out of our way no it stays in our way as a perpetual reminder this isn't our home so as they march out They march out with a coffin of Joseph and the bones of Jacob because they cannot cannot forget the past. If you forget the past, you will lose your future. The only way we know about the future is that we trust the past. When you gather here like we have today, there was a moment in our worship service at the very beginning when we took the Lord's Supper And yet again, this Sunday, like last Sunday, and the Sunday before, and the Sunday before, and the Sunday before, you broke off a cracker and you ate it. This is the body of my Savior who died for me. When? Hundreds of years ago. And this is the juice. This juice represents, it's his body, it's his blood. And you drank it, and you consumed it. And you're going to do this next Sunday if next Sunday comes, and the Sunday after that. And this is what we're told. As often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. The future depends on you hanging on to the past. Don't give it up. By the way, the sermons we preach here, every one of them, as far as... With me, with Jonathan, we've, we've talked about this a lot. Every sermon that's preached from this pulpit comes rooted in the Word of God, which is hundreds of years old. We are a community of people living in the year 2018 who are being guided by and gathered around here to hear a word from a book that's ancient. A book that's old. Ancient words. We gather around here and we are thinking that somehow this book, and in this particular book of Exodus, we're talking thousands of years ago, we are looking at a book that's thousands of years old and we're looking at it for guidance for our lives in 2018. How does that work? Here's how it works. This book is no regular piece of literature. 
It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And while you're reading it, it's reading you. And it's giving you guidance for how you can live for him. And if you ever give up the ancient words, if you stop contending for the faith once delivered that's hundreds of years old, you will lose your future. It all depends on hang on to what you know of the past. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I believe what's in this book. It happened. It's not just a parable. It's not just a mystical story that we learn to draw out stories and morals for our lives. Do you, church, believe that there was a day when everything was perfect and because of sin it fell? Do you believe that? Oh, do you believe that? Do you believe there was a day that man got so bad, God said, i got to start all over, and he washed it out with a flood? Do you believe that? Oh, man, I want you to believe it more than that. Are you ready? I believe we have a God who entered into Egypt and got his people out and took them to the land of promise. Do you believe that? Yes, you believe it. That was years ago. I believe we have a God who came down here in the presence of his son and walked in the dirt of the soil of this world and lived and he died and he rose again. Do you believe the tomb's empty? Do you believe that's historic? That really happened? Do you believe? Because if you don't, this next one's going to be tough. Do you believe he's coming back to take us home? If that, if that past didn't happen... That promise won't happen. And the way they symbolized it was they grabbed hold of that coffin and they marched it through the wilderness all those years, church. They marched a dead body. And I can see there were a lot of them that died as they marched through there and they buried them all. They had something like 30,000 funerals a day in those 40 years. Can you imagine? But there's one body they didn't bury. They kept, they kept a group of people holding the bones or the body, whatever, of Joseph all those years because if you give up that promise, your future is doomed. And you gather here on Sunday to remember that past and to hang on to that future. There's one last thing you need for this journey. It's, it's the most mysterious and wonderful thing. I wish it was still here. And it goes like this. They moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and at night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. God did a beautiful job of giving them some concrete leadership. Look up, guys. You see that cloud? If it sits there, we sit here. If it moves, you move. If it moves every day for two weeks, we move every day for two weeks. If it sits there for a month, we sit there for a month. That's how we know God's leading us. And if it's at nighttime, look up in the sky because if the fire starts moving, you need to move. What wonderful concrete guidance this is from God. He's leading them, and it kind of leads you kind of again to this anticipation. This should be easy, right? Can I tell you this? God was leading them, and he leads them right into battle in chapter 17. If you think you're in the midst of a battle just trying to hang on to your faith and not give in to temptation and fall back into the world, and because you're having that battle, God must not be leading you, don't buy it. 
God can lead you right into battles that you have to hang on with your fingernails. I just spent a week with kids at church camp from all around the area, and there's a couple of them that I'm so proud of that are struggling with these battles that are unbelievable, guys. They're trying to live their life as pure as they can in a world that's beating them sideways and backwards, and they're, they're well-known, and they're on sports teams, and they're around people that don't, that don't share their faith, and they're getting beat up, and they come to camp, and they find a little bit of time away from that stuff, but they start sharing what they're having to fight for. And sometimes they can say, if I'm living right, why am I having to fight? If you think that because you're fighting and battling sin that you're doing something wrong, that's not true. The only reason you're fighting is that God is leading you. God's leading you, but you're going to have to fight, and sometimes you're going to lose some battles. But don't, don't believe the devil's lie that when you've lost the battle, you've lost the war. It's not true. If you're engaging in that battle, God's still leading you. He's not going to leave you and lead you in smooth sailing. He's not going to lead you all the time in things that are just luxurious and easy. He's going to lead you right in the midst of battle. He's going to lead you into places where there's no water. That's going to happen here in a chapter or two. If God's leading us, why, there's, why is there no water? The, the theory is, he will never make me experience a dry season. That's not true. There was a woman who came up to Jesus one time. She had a daughter who was dead, nearly dead, and she comes to him, and there's no question, right? How can there be any question that the Son of God would heal this girl? How in the world can you question whether it be God's will or not? And this woman comes up to Jesus and said, my daughter is dying. I need you to come heal. And you know what Jesus said? The text says, Je Jesus looked at her. He said not a word. Crickets. And then he starts discussing with his disciples whether he can even hear a Gentile or not. Calls the woman a dog. And she's sitting there the whole time. And there's a season of dryness right here where, where, where she's crying out to God with a legitimate need. And Jesus, Jesus says nothing. You are going to have times, church, when your prayer life dries up to nothing. And you're crying out to God and you're praying to God. And it's like he doesn't even hear. But listen to me. God's still leading you. God's still guiding you. The fact that you have that season, that, that season where just things just seem to dry up and there's nothing there, don't believe it. Don't buy the feeling. Trust the word. God's still leading you. And by the way, that woman, that woman wouldn't leave without an answer. And she got it. And Jesus drew it out of her by staying silent for a while. He's not just worried about the destination. He's concerned about you. That, that God's going to be leading you. He's going to be leading you into places of limited food. There's going to be limited income sometimes. And you think, if God's leading me, then all my bills should be paid for and I should have it easy. No, Paul said this. Paul said, I've learned in whatever circumstance, I've learned whether I have plenty or I have nothing. I've learned contentment. God cannot do develop contentment into you without leading you into hungry places. He's more concerned about what you are developing than just the destination. So he can be leading you by cloud and by fire and still lead you into places of limited food. He can lead you into tense places, a place between an army and a sea. 
He can put you there on purpose. You look at chapter 14, verse 1. God started leading them around in circles, and it looked like God didn't know what he was talking about, and Moses had no clue. And do you know what God was doing? He made Pharaoh look out there and say, these people are nuts. I'm going to go after them. And God said, I'm doing this on purpose. You may think he's cruel because he leads you in places you would never go on your own. And only later will you realize what you gain from being there. And I'll warn you that's still never a place you would go on your own. You still don't want to have been there. But he's still leading you. He's developing something in you by leading you to crazy places. He's going to lead you to places where people think you're out of your mind. Because you follow his will and you do his word and you decide you're going to live by what he says, the people of the world are going to look at you and say, I would never have done it that way. I know, because you're not led by God and I am. It's going to take you to weird places. You'll experience all of this being a child of God. Life becomes this adventure and sometimes you'll wonder if God's not crazy. You're going to have to trust the heart of God even when you cannot trace his hand anywhere that it's at. Because he's developing in you something that makes you into something profound. He's interested in you, shaping you. And this morning, I want us to be reminded of these truths. Because some of you are on the journey with God, and it's taken you to places you wish you didn't have to go. And you may feel he's not there with you. But you're going to have to trust he is. And there's a reason for his silence, and there's a reason for where he has you. Just keep following and don't give up on it. And this morning, I want to add a different kind of application. I'm thinking of Jonathan and Madison. I'm grateful that the cloud, capital C, the cloud led them here for the last year. God has seen fit to bless this church with this couple for the past year. And as much as we all prayed that no church would want him for the next five years, God put him here and has made this church a better church because Jonathan and Madison are here. I believe that leadership. And now that cloud is lifted up and decided that it needs to go somewhere else, that they need to go somewhere else. I believe God is leading them. I've watched this and I see this, and I believe God's putting them exactly where he wants them to go which means we need to be watching this because it's going to be interesting to see what happens. May you both be reminded there's going to be a lot of work and a lot of challenges and a lot of tears and a lot of stuff to come, Jonathan and Madison, and he's preparing you for it. It's not going to be easy. You've got to be ready for battle. There are going to be battles in this next church you come to, battles of personalities and apathy and all the challenges you faced here you're going to find them there so be ready for battle when you go but hang on to this hang on to the fact that you know you where God wants you to be and you're going to be able to look back because we all need to look back sometimes and gain confidence he's looking back to they're both looking back to successful Harding experiences lots of people at Harding that affirmed ministry is what you need to be doing Jonathan that's what you need to be doing his talents were evident but in case that's lacking he came here and it's it's very evident to all of us here he's got the heart of God he has got a love for people and he's visiting people not because he was assigned to but because he wanted to and he's preaching the word in a powerful way and there are going to be times there's going to be Sunday nights in the coming months where he's going to go what in the world am I doing I have no clue what I'm doing and he's going to have to call and we're going to have to say we know what you're doing 
We are part of your chorus of witnesses that what you're doing is something you've been called to. And I want you both to know that you have a place that believes in you and has seen it, and we are convinced. We are convinced you both need to be in ministry and you're going to do great things for the kingdom. Amen? I've just seen it. And may you both be knowing, too, that God is leading you. This church they're going to is going to be the place where God works through them. That cloud is leading them, and God wants them there. And they should be chomping at the bit to see what's God going to do. What is he going to do through us there? And we are too. And the beauty of having crossed our path is this. They will perpetually be on our prayer list. You guys are not going to be alone in this journey. We're still going to join you spiritually. We've discussed, what we've discussed this morning is true of all believers. Everyone, everyone who chooses that they want to live eternally with God begins this journey and you have these provisions. Listen, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to hang on to those promises that you know are true because you're going to enter a future sometimes that seems questionable. When David was uh, facing Goliath, the reason he had such confidence, he says, because God was with me as a shepherd. When the lion and the bear came, God was with me there, so he's going to take care of me here. We've got to know those stories and we've got to remember them as we face a future we're uncertain of. And you've got to know that God's leading you. If you're on the road to the promised land right now, you have such amazing provisions that you've been given. Use them. Use them and believe in them and follow them. And if you're not on that road, if you're not headed to the promised land, please make a U-turn. Please get off the next exit and figure out where you need to be. And I want you to know as hard as it is, and it is hard, as hard as it is, it's got built-in provisions to provide for you whatever you need at any moment. That's the promise we have. If you're marching to Zion, church, keep marching. Keep marching. If you're not, join the army. Change your, your destination. Change where you are and become a child of God. And I'll promise you, You'll have armor, you'll have guidance, and you'll have a record of God's past dealings that you know are true. Whatever you need to do to be marching on to Zion together with us, do it now as we stand and sing to encourage you. Break my heart.